Thanks for checking out this message from Radiant Life Church. Grab your Bible, a pad of paper, and a pen. Let's dive in. Well, welcome today to Radiant Life. Again, my name is Ryan. I am our lead pastor, and I'm excited because we get to continue our series, our summer teaching series in the book of Mark. And uh, man, Mark has been a rich Rich gospel, the gospel meaning the good news of Jesus Christ, the message of who he is. And Mark does a fantastic job writing and keeping very fast-paced action. Uh, Before we jump in, though, I want to ask you a question this morning. What do you take seriously in your life? Maybe perhaps some of you Begin to think, and you're like, you know what? I take exercise serious. Yeah, God bless you if you do. I mean, you're the type that's like, I already did my crunches this morning. In fact, 150. Want to see? No. But like, you're, you're taking it very serious, which is wonderful. Wonderful. I have to run to keep the weight off. Like, that's it. If I don't run, I'm going to gain weight. And so I don't take it serious, though. I'm the type of runner that leaves my house. I have no idea where I'm going or how many miles I'm going to do. That's me. Uh, I I ran into someone who told me, the Lord gave me only X number of heartbeats in this life. I won't use them with exercise. (laughs) I said, I wish I had your attitude. (laughs) Right? But there are people who take exercise serious. Others of us, we take our lawn serious. Any of them like me? I'm like one of the loners here. There's only a few of us. Well, we'll gather after service and talk, right? right? I need to water my grass. But I'm going to tell you, there is a correct way to mow your lawn. Lines. By the way, straight lines, right? Down, it's a light path. Back, dark path. Then keep doing that. Did you also know you're never supposed to mow your lawn in the same way? Change directions. North-south, next week, east-west. All right? No circles. (laughs) Uh, My wife and I, our house, we have a semi-circle drive. Right? If you know what a semi-circle drive, it's a semi-circle. And uh, I'm going to do this. It looks like this, and there's grass here. And sometimes someone will park right in front of our house in the middle of that drive. And then cars will come to my house. And you know what they do? They pull into my grass to get around the car instead of just backing out into the road. I have to pray to Jesus in those moments. He keeps me sanctified. Because I'm screaming inside, get off my grass. Even though it's my friends and my staff, I'm like, get off my grass. Now I got to deal with tire marks and those lines look beautiful. Take it serious. Some of you take decorating and interior design serious, right? I mean, there, God bless my mother. She... She took pictures of every single item in the house where it went. So come Christmas time, those Christmas decorations went into the exact same place every year. And then when she took them down, the, our regular decorations went to the exact same place every year. 
Like some of you are there. Others of you are like, I just like going into a new space and redesigning and things like that. But you take it serious. You're more like a reformer and that's all right. But that's what you love. Others of you, you may be a foodie. Like, oh, come on now. You take, I know, and this is a bad picture to show right before lunchtime. Like some of you take that so serious and you're an incredible chef and you're the type that will, you love being able to have people over to your house and feed them this incredible food and you love seeing their experience with the food and you go to the grocery store and you know exactly how to pick out the right tomatoes, what to look for on a cucumber to make sure it is perfect. You know you take food seriously. Here's what I'm trying to get at. What you name as serious can claim you. It will claim your time. It will claim your energy. It can claim your money. It can claim your thoughts and actions. And if we were to watch the video of your life, we stuck in a thumb drive into the computer And we all got to sit back and watch your life unfold very fastly on that screen. What would we notice that you're serious about? Because your life, what you do, you put forth time, energy, money. Today, we're going to look at a passage in the gospel according to Mark that Jesus brings to his 12 disciples, I want to warn you, it's very serious. I want to ask you before we jump in, you thought of things that you're very serious about or that you love. I want to ask you a question though. Are you a person who's serious about sin? Are you a person who is serious about sin? Does this shape the way you make decisions in your life? Does this shape the things you do in private moments when no one is watching? Are you a person who is serious about sin? So if you have your Bible or your tablet, you want to turn with me to the gospel of Mark chapter 9, and we will be in verse 38. And so while you turn there, I'm going to give us a little another disclaimer. Um, I'm supposed to cover chapters 9 and 10 this week. You can see I only have 9 up there. We'll jump into chapter 10 for only two verses, and we're going to jump back into 9. So then I can say, we did 10, okay? That my goal is this in my heart, that during your own quiet time this week, in your secret place, you will study Mark 9 and 10 because they're filled with all sorts of great stuff. So if you're there in Mark 9, here at Radiant Life, we like to say word. Let me hear you say word. We get in the word, so the? So the word gets into us. Before we jump in, I want to say one more thing. If you're a guest with us this morning, welcome to Radiant Life. I hope if you're a believer, or if you're, let me say this, if you're not a believer, 
I hope you understand the Christian seriousness of sin in this world today. Whether you call this home or not, if you're a believer, a brother and sister in Christ Jesus, I hope you and I will hear God's warning and take it serious. Mark um, 9. Last week, really quick, I, I talked about how Jesus is the Christ. Mark 8, right? Jesus asked them the question, his 12 disciples, who do the people say that I am? And you know how he res- they responded, you know? Some think you're John the Baptist, because he was beheaded already, and they think you're John the Baptist, resurrected. Others think you're Elijah, one of the Old Testament prophets, but still others think you're just a prophet. And then Jesus gets to the underlying question he's trying to ask. Really, who do you say that I am? And Peter rises up and says, you are the Messiah, you are the Christ, you are the anointed one, you are from God. He goes, yeah. Now that you know who I am, I am the Christ. This ought to shape you and I with every decision we ever make. He is the Christ. The way you treat your spouse, you treat them because Jesus is the Christ. The way you enter into relationships and the way you love on people and the way you forgive people and the way you don't harbor bitterness is because Jesus is the Christ. The way you speak to one another, to believers and unbelievers, you speak that way because Jesus is the Christ. And with Jesus is the Christ, let us heed his warning. In Mark 9, verse 38, it reads this way. John said to him, teacher or rabbi, we see someone driving out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he wasn't following us. This is so ironic for John. Because here's the ironic thing about this. John and the disciples in earlier in chapter nine tried to drive out a demon they couldn't drive out. And Jesus says, it's because only by prayer this demon's going to leave. And now, can you imagine, we tried doing it, and then they see someone that they don't know that says they're not part of us, and hey, Jesus, they're doing it, and we couldn't. What's up with that? And he's going to answer the question, oh, son, son, son. Don't stop him, Jesus said. Because there is no one who will perform a miracle in my name who can soon afterward speak evil of me. For whoever is not against us is for us. Here's what we have to jump in to the first century uh, Jewish Hebraic world just for a moment and understand this idea of in my name. Maybe some translations and maybe yours says by your power, you can insert there. The Jewish thought behind this, behind the name of someone was a person's name was believed to evoke their authority. So he's saying... When they evoke my authority, they experience my power and my authority, they will not speak evil of me. And if they're not against me or us, they're going to be for us. 
This is why you and I say in our prayer often, in Jesus' name, because we're asking by the power and authority of you, Jesus, will you answer this prayer? This is why we say it. And then, this is so fun. You know what's ironic too? You know the disciples right before this, they're arguing who's the greatest. So they're upset. They don't get to drive the demon out. They're arguing, well, I'm greater. Well, you're greater. Who's going to sit at the right hand of God when we get to heaven? You know, it should be our place. And then Jesus is like, do you guys get it? Well, Jesus, he's not with us. It doesn't matter. He's doing my work. Sometimes I think to the disciples, get your eyes off of you and get them on Jesus. Brother, sister, get your eyes off of you and start putting your eyes to Jesus. As Jesus says in Mark 8, you want to come after me, deny yourself, pick up your cross, follow after me. Get your eyes off of you because you're not God and put them on the son of God. And then Jesus says, and whoever gives you a cup of water to drink in my name because you belong to Christ, truly I tell you, he will never lose his reward. He will never lose his reward. I wonder in the moment if Jesus is literally sitting back and go, listen, disciples, it's all, it's not about just your little club. I know you're special and I chose you 12. But I also have 72 other disciples and 120 disciples and there's a lot more. But yes, I chose you 12 and it's not about you and your little thing. It's not about you. It's about my work of my kingdom. Please lean in. Church, it's never about the church. It's about God's kingdom. Sometimes, even brothers and sisters in Christ, we get the inward focus too much that we lose sense of the work of the kingdom of God. You're called to reach and save the lost. Go, church. Go reach them. And it's joyous when you get to grab them and say, hey, it's a brother and sister in Christ. Now let's worship together at the church building. It's not about you. It's about the work of my kingdom. And then, then Jesus turns this conversation with the 12 to one of the most graphic discussions in the New Testament about the seriousness of sin. Before we read the rest, please listen. This is critical to get us to Jesus' next few statements. You and I live in a moral world and every day you and I make inescapable moral choices. Every day is marked by moral choices. What you do at your work, what you do at school or on your sports team, the conversations you have, the relationships you are in, 
your leisure activity, how you spend your money, it all has a moral choice tagged into it. Because those choices can lead to sin. And you must know, you and I live under the authority. Let me repeat that. You and I live under the authority of a holy God who has told us how to live. Culture says, I'm the authority. It is about me and what I feel right. But in our faith, brothers and sisters, we bow to the authority of God, whether you understand it or not. Do you hear that? We as Christians should not look at the world and go, I can't believe you're doing that. It makes total sense. If you and I are to live under the authority of God, the enemy of our soul deceives us. How would he deceive that truth? You and I submitting to the authority of God, well, it's an easy way to deceive it. You are your own authority. And we buy into it. But you and I are called to bring them out of that darkness and into the light. I'm telling you. I don't think Christians ought to be shouting at culture. I think we ought to set the example and have the conversations to say, hey, brother, I want to show you a better way. I think we ought to stand against some things, truly. There's some evil things we ought to take a stand for. But we shouldn't be shocked that culture is going the way it is. Makes sense. But I want to make sure your and I's knees are bowed to the authority of a holy God. He gets to say what's right and wrong. He gets to say how you and I live our life. Even if God, I don't fully understand and it's really easier if it was this way. But you're king. I'm not. And I bow to you. At times we fall asleep to this idea. Oh, because we live in little moments that don't seem to carry great consequences. Our culture today loves the highlight reel. The fireworks. The big thing. Lean in before we look at Jesus' words. The character and direction of life, of your life, is not set in one or two big moments and decisions. The character and nature of your life is set in the 10,000 little choices you make. How you live in the little moments shapes how you deal with the big moments. And your character is developed when no one is looking. Can I just say here at Radiant Life, we're a large church, but we will not shy away from topics that the Bible talks about and about sin. The rest of us are like, "Uh uh-oh, uh-oh. The palms are sweaty, starting to wiggle a little bit. Good time to go get a coffee, right? Let's look at these very, very firm, serious words of Jesus on sin. Verse 42. 
But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to fall away, maybe other translations could say to stumble, to sin, or lose faith. It would be better for him if a heavy millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Uh huh. The term little ones is not referring to children. It's an affectionate term Jesus uses for those who follow after him. Lean in. What Jesus says here, it's it's better for that big thing. The millstone that is tied around a donkey that goes in circles to grind the grain. It's better for that thing to be tied around your neck and go throw yourself into the sea than for you to cause someone else to stumble, to sin, to fall away. Have you thought about that? I make this next statement very personal on purpose. I have a moral obligation for the influence Jesus has through me to the lives of people around me. I have a moral obligation to that. Once you have entered into the family, you are now a part of what God is doing. It's not sit back, got my ticket out of hell, now let's just ride this thing. It's not that. You're called now to do work. I love what 2 Corinthians, what Paul writes to the church in Corinth, 2 Corinthians 5.20, he reads this way. Or, no, never mind. I have a question first. No, I missed it. There we go. Therefore, we are, can we read those three words together? We are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, through you and me, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Do you know back in the ancient world when this was written, an ambassador was a representative of the king? Let me ask you a question. Ambassador, are you a representative of who Jesus is, what he says, and who he looks like? Or do you look more... And more like something else. We are not just consumers of the faith. But we are called as instruments in God's hand. Let me ask you that question now. What is my nature of influence in the lives of people around me? As you write this down, think about this. Do I represent Jesus well? Am I an ambassador of grace and truth to people? Do I give godly counsel to people? Not your advice, but God's counsel. What is the nature of influence in the lives of people around you? And here's the problem, friends. 
a lot of us in the faith, we live inconsistently. And if living inconsistently will cause people to stumble over the question, do I really want this Jesus? Sin with anger and selfishness, anger when it's, it's an emotion, but when it's used improperly can become sinful. Selfishness, drinking, swearing, treating others. Is this how serious God, this is how serious God takes our influence. Tie a millstone around your neck and go throw yourself in the sea. Let me ask you one more question. Do your words and actions stimulate or stumble the faith? Do your words and actions stimulate people to the faith and want to follow this Christ or will they make them stumble? I'm going to pick on a few things here. Brother, sister, Remember, I'm talking to those who follow Jesus. If you don't follow Jesus, I hope you hear the seriousness of this and you're off the hook because he's talking to Christ Christians. Brother, sister in Christ, stop swearing. Stop cursing. Clean up your mouth because the words that you curse another person, that mouth comes here on Sunday morning and praises God. Come on. Clean up your mouth. Well, I can't. You're right. In your own power. That's why you need to be spirit-filled. Come on. That's why you stumble. You're trying in your own willpower. You can't. Brother and sister, and I know this hits home. Your influence matters. If you're drinking around people who have a problem with drinking, knock it off. Knock it off. I'm not saying drinking's a sin. You look in the Bible. The sin when it comes to alcohol is drunkenness. Drunkenness doesn't mean blacked out. Drunk, buzz is drunkenness. We're good at justifying sin. Well, I'm not like passed out yet. I mean, this buzz feels really good. No, it doesn't. Dude, you're gonna wake up with a headache. I don't know, never been drunk before. I'm not saying look at me, but I'm just assuming you're gonna wake up with a headache and not feel real well. That's what I've heard. At least that's what people tell me. (laughs) You just can't do it. What is your influence around those? A brother and sister in Christ who struggles. Everything is permissible. Not everything's beneficial. Paul writes it. Just be careful. Be Jesus to people. People are like, wow, Jesus drank. You're right. He had communion. He had wine. People that are against alcohol will say, well, it's not the same context, like the same alcohol content as today. Listen, that's not even an argument because they write about getting drunk on that stuff still. So the the content of alcohol is thrown out the window. It doesn't matter. You could still get drunk on it, whether it was less or more alcohol content back then than it is today. You could still get drunk. He says, don't do that. Remember, I love you to speak this stuff. I love you enough to tackle these things. What you do 
on Friday night in the bar matters. You have a moral obligation for the influence Jesus has through you into the lives of people around you. Now, please lean in. Don't hide when you see me walk into B-dubs and you're around the bar. Don't hide now. Don't, don't do that. I'm not, that's not what I'm preaching. What I'm preaching is your words and actions matter. Be smart to who's around you. Be smart. Sound good? Hey, just remember, I love you. Get mad at Jesus. These are his words, not mine. <laughs> He's got a little bit bigger shoulders. I'll get hurt personally if you come attack me. <laughs> Do we take sin seriously? Do we? Because Jesus says, be careful of those around you. And then Jesus does something amazing. He takes it and goes, what you do in your influence around people matters. And then he's going to look in the heart of the 12 and make it really deeply personal. Read these words. And if your hand causes you to fall away, can we read those three words in blue? Cut it off. Hmm. It is better for you to enter life maimed than to have two hands and go to hell, the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to fall away, to sin, to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life lame than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And he's not done. Your eye. If your eye causes you to fall away, gouge it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Get all these if-then statements from Jesus. If your hand, foot, eye, causes you to fall away, sin, or stumble, then cut it off or gouge it out. Uh, question, is Jesus really serious about that? Like, should churches be full of handless, footless, eyeless people? <laughs> like, how do we know when Jesus is like, literal or metaphorically? How do we know? So jump back to first century Jewish Hebraic culture one thing that the Jewish law teaches you is you're not allowed for self-mutilization. So therefore, you could see that Jesus is going after something else. You know why it's also not literal? It's because if you and I were to cut our hands, our feet, and gouge out our eyes, we could still sin. Because it comes from here. Cut your hands, cut your feet off, gouge your eyes out. But sin will still come from here. It's the heart. It's the heart. I'm going to ask you a question. With your hands, 
Is what you do with them leading you to sin? Are you reaching for things you shouldn't desire for? Your eyes. Are you looking at things you should not be looking at? Are you looking at what you should not even consider or desire? And your feet. Are they taking you to places that should not, you should not go to? Jesus is sitting there going. He's calling us to a costly self-sacrifice discipleship. And he's calling us to wake up to the seriousness of sin. And it's in your heart. Do you carry that level of seriousness in your heart? To know the seriousness of sin. Some can look at this passion and go, man, Jesus is harsh. And he's mean. I look at this passage and go, this is grace to you and I. This is a loving savior warning you and I of the seriousness of sin. That's what a loving savior does. In Mark 10, here's your two verses from chapter 10, by the way. In Mark 10, we're told a short story uh, of the rich young ruler, right in the middle of Mark 10, it feels like. And um, the, the rich r- young ruler briefly was out on a journey and um, he ran up to Jesus and it says he, he knelt down and he asked Jesus this question. He says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus and him have a little conversation And I want to bring you to the very last part of their conversation they have together. It says, looking at him, referring to the rich, young ruler, Jesus loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all you have and give to the poor and your treasure will be in heaven. Then come follow me. And it says, but he was dismayed by this demand and went away grieving because he had many possessions. The issue in the story is not that the guy had a lot of possessions. The issue is the possessions had him. The possessions had his heart. And Jesus says, as soon as you get rid of all that stuff that take first place instead of me, when that is done and you did self-sacrificing to get rid of all that stuff, then I will be number one in your heart. Come after me. Worship team, make your way up. When it comes to following Jesus, when it comes to the kingdom of God, please lean in. We cannot think of the kingdom of God in just in context of reward. We must also think in terms of sacrifice. Reward, great. I mean, who can't wait to go to, the, go to heaven and stand with Jesus? Take a stroll with Jesus. Dunk on Jesus. I'm hoping he's going to let me do that. 
He's got to give me a little more ups, though. I'm getting old. My back's starting to hurt. But to walk with him, but to experience the work in the kingdom here on earth right now. It's not just, ooh, I love this. It's I have to sacrifice things to follow my Jesus. He says, deny yourself. Sin resides here, but you got to take the seriousness. There may be a moment where you have to sacrifice your group of friends to say no more. I can't. You may have to sacrifice some possessions in your life to say, you know what? I do really love those things more than Jesus. I wonder if sometimes people look at the church and they say it looks just like the world because we haven't taken sin seriously. The end of that time in Mark 9 that we've been looking at, Jesus wraps up his conversation with his 12 disciples. And he says these words, for everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt should lose its flavor, how can you season it? Have salt among yourselves and be at peace with one another. In the ancient world, to be salted was the meaning is to be offered in a purifying fire. That's why it says you'll be salted with fire. You're going to be purified with the fire through the removal of your sin. Salt was a purifying process in the ancient world. And the results of the purifying fire that salt brings is for you and I now to be the salt of the earth. What Jesus does in that context that you and I read, but first just think about salt for a moment. You know, when you eat something, you add a little bit more salt because salt adds what? Flavor. Salt adds flavor. There's also an aspect to go, we're called to go add flavor for Christ and the kingdom of God in this world. But if we're going to do that, we can't lose our flavor. We have to go through a purifying process to get rid of that sin in our lives. In the context of what we look looked at, Jesus does not point to the means of removing sin and impurity. But here's what he does, because he hasn't gone to the cross yet. That's the remedy. Here's what Jesus does. He exposes our urgent need for purity of our heart. There's a need there. So let me ask you a question. Do you carry that level of urgent need in your heart to purify my heart. And I want to speak for myself. I don't always take my influence and my relationships seriously. I don't always take sin 
seriously in my own life. I don't always remember my calling to be an ambassador for Christ in this world. And I want you and I to know this. Our standing with God is not based on how well we keep the passages we read today. Because Jesus has perfectly kept the requirement of those passages for you and I. He was serious about sin and was willing to die a horrific death of torture and go through unbelievable mockery so that sin would be conquered. So because of Christ, because of Christ, I don't have to be afraid or hide from my heavenly father anymore. Because of Christ, I can now run into his presence by his grace. And ask him to come into my life to empower me with his spirit. And ask him to claim a desire for his kingdom in my life. All because of Jesus. But it takes something. It takes a surrender and a sacrifice. If you will, will you just please stand? As you once you stand, we just close your eyes. Just think about this. Have you surrendered everything? Because Jesus did it all for you. He is that high and holy king. Have you taken sin seriously in your life? Thanks for listening to this message from Radiant Life Church. To get to know us better, check out theradiantlife.church. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram.